0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the Western Conference with a special guest today from the West Coast, specifically Sacramento, California. Please welcome back to the pod our good friend Carson Cook.
2: Yo, yo, what's up? My name is Carson. I'm excited to be back on. And right now I'm actually in San Diego. So uh, I've hit up and down the West Coast right now.
0: My apologies. I forgot you go to San Diego State University as yo, well. Big yep. shout out to San Diego State. How are you doing on this fine day today?
2: Not too bad. Got out of class. have another class at two. So got to get this in real quick.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's Let's get right to it, and um, we're going to start with the Dallas Mavericks because there's definitely a lot of intrigue about this team, and it starts with their head coach, Jason Kidd. So, Carson, I'll actually start with you on this one. With Jason Kidd as the new head coach for the Mavericks, what effect do you believe it will have on Luka Doncic this season?
2: I honestly don't think it'll have a big effect. I mean, Rick Carlisle, we've seen for gener- like years on years, he was one of the best coaches in the league and now you bring in Jason Kidd who last head coach with the I mean the team was average at best they weren't great and now the the real problem is the roster constructed with Luka just it, it can only go so far it's like that James Harden Rockets team and then they brought in Chris Paul and they went farther right but now you still don't have a second score behind Luka Chris Taps unless he has a breakout season where he's looking like New York Knicks Chris Taps I just don't see much improvement from this team.
0: And you definitely brought up his record from Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Definitely not an astounding coaching record, but I think it's also interesting given that he is one of the best point guards in NBA history, and this is where I'll transition to Jalen on this one. Because he's one of the best point guards in NBA history, do you think that he can help unlock more of Luka's untapped potential, or do you agree with Carson saying that there isn't really much effect um, that Jason, there, there isn't really going to be as much effect that Jason Kidd will have on Luka this season.
1: So I think the question is, what does unlock Luka Doncic mean? I mean, top top five, top six in scoring last season. I mean, I think it was top five in assists on top of it. Pretty solid rebounded for the point guard spot, too. I think he had like eight rebounds or something like that last season. I mean, the the question that we all have to ask ourselves in general is like how much better – Can Luca get? Like, I think it's incremental at this point in terms of at least the counting stats. And of course, like, the three ball is the thing that everybody's gonna point to as being, like, one of his, like, bigger flaws. And I don't really know how Jason Kidd, of all people, can actually, like, assist him (laughs) in that area. You know what I mean? So I think that's the tricky part. What I will say, though, and I think is a really interesting thing about Jason Kidd in this position is what he can do for some of the other guys on this team um around Luka Dodgers because a good point that Carson made is um in relation to that old Houston Rockets team the biggest thing is the defined roles that a lot of those guys on that Houston team had right um Clint Capella was part of probably one of the best pick and roll duos in the league for a long time PJ Tucker defensive stalwarts a guy who would step, i step out in the corner and just shoot threes um you know eric gordon who's still on houston free that man bad but <laughs> i mean that's a dude who pretty much was just asked to be a microwave scorer i think that that is something that they can look to and also with the fact that jason kidd has been known really well for like his development of younger players i mean Giannis is like the big ticket guy that everybody links him to but i think it does go a little bit deeper than that um guys at the same position Jalen Brunson I think can get a little bit of use as a guy who I think could be pretty dangerous in a six-man-a-year candidate um as a six-man-a-year candidate this year similar kind of like how he was most of last year one dude who needs development and I think this might be an interesting spot for him is uh Frank Ntilikina. this is a guy who's going to add defense to their team and lord if if he can even add like just the catch the catch and shoot three element and just be a three and D guy in full and just be like you know old school Trevor Ariza for this team I mean it instantly takes them to a different level so I think Jason Kidd is going to be helpful as a as a you know as a legendary you know former NBA player and everything like that but I think it's gonna have more of an impact on the guys around Luka from a developmental standpoint than Luka I don't know how you help Luka man the dude's already like favored like somewhere in the top three for MVP I don't know how you get better than that
2: the way that we see improvement from Luka is just winning getting out of that second round out of the first round maybe they I don't think they'll have to play the Clippers this year so that will help but definitely Jason Kidd does help with development you look at Giannis right He kind of gave Giannis the keys to, to excel. And now look at Giannis now. He obviously, he's a top already. I'd say top 50 player all time, but you can debate how high up he goes. And Jason Kidd definitely had some influence on that. I just think Jason Kidd, legendary coach, and that goes a long way with players. I like the point with Frank Nita Lakina because I think he has a lot of potential. I mean, he's what, six seven, six six handle, a lot of potential. So I I like the fit. I just don't know how far it goes.
0: And I think you both made interesting points considering the fact that he almost fit better on a team like Milwaukee when Giannis was an up and coming basketball player, and he helped form Giannis into the player that we kind of know today. And I think it will be interesting to see, like 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 you both have mentioned, what Jason Kidd does for the rest of the team because Jalen Brunson, Frank Akina, I think those players could benefit. Um, off of his coaching more than Luca can, and it's interesting because of the fact that Luca, at his young age is already as good as players like LeBron, players like Steph Curry. In that top five player echelon, it's just a matter of how much more can he improve. Maybe he doesn't have to improve anymore at his young age. So sticking with this point guard topic, let's transition to the Denver Nuggets because this is a team that is without their starting point guard for the start of the season in Jamal Murray. And there's definitely a lot of options for who can possibly start at point guard at this time. I'll start with Jalen. Who do you believe starts at point guard for the Denver Nuggets in the first game of the season?
1: Okay. So let me keep it a bug. So my answer to the question itself, cause I had to think about this really hard. My, the answer to the question itself is Monty Morris to me that, that feels like the, the safe, the safe bet with like, and off chances, Austin Rivers, but the fact that Will Barton is already kind of like day-to-day, I think that Austin Rivers might end up starting at the two, we'll end up seeing. So that'll that be a question that we'll have to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. But, and I kind of want to pose this to both of you guys, do you guys see a chance, especially with the fact that we don't know when Jamal Murray is coming back timetable-wise? I think that Nishan bones Highland from VCU that they drafted, I think he really has a better shot of being like a lead point guard on this team in Murray's absence over the other guys that they have in this lineup. I think Monty Morris and Compazzo, Fasuno Compazzo, I just don't, even P.J. Dozier, like, these are guys that I'm afraid um, are going to play above him, and I think from a talent-to-talent perspective, like, bones Highland has a way better upside, fits more into at least the closest approximation of what Jamal Murray was for this team, as opposed to Monty Morris. And, look, I know they got enough buckets on this starting lineup with Michael Porter Jr., Eric Gordon, Nikola Jokic. But, like, let's be real. Pick and roll deadliness with Bones Highland and Nikola Jokic, that, I mean, that alone could be something that opens up this team that looks a little shorthanded. So, like, Carson, I guess I'll pass it to you. Do, do I mean, I'm sure you probably agree that's or somewhere in that area but like how do you feel about bones highland on this team because that's the guy that i think changes this point guard spot
2: so the answer to the question right bones highland can have a huge impact on this team and it, it may be minimal but as he goes on and just get he's still a rookie he's what 19 20 so it's like he's still very young and jamal murray didn't have to do that point guard role so Bones Highland would fill that Jamal Murray role cuz all he has to do is go out there and score. You have Jokic to facilitate. You have him to play make. Aaron Gordon can play make when he wants. But if they can get two elite scorers in there with cuz I I wouldn't consider Jokic an elite scorer. Just like he's he can score obviously. Like he can average mm-hmm. 30 whenever he wants, but he's not going out there to score. Now, Bones Highland would play more of that Jamal Murray role, get in there, pick and roll, pick and pop, and it's going to be lethal. But starting off, I give it two months until, like, he's playing some big-time minutes for this team because they're deep, but they're not super deep. You got uh, Jamal Murray out. You talked about how uh, Will Barton's day-to-day, Austin Rivers is good, but, like, their wing position is, is eh besides uh, Michael Porter Jr. And Aaron Gordon can play the wing, but you want him playing the four anyway. So I definitely see Bones Highland coming in, having an impact as a rookie. Whether that impact is great, I, I don't see that much in his rookie year. But, I mean, the Duke can flat out score, and that's, that's what basketball is all about at the end of the day.
0: I honestly couldn't agree more with your opinion because I think if you get a guy like uh, Bones Highland on this team and you tell him to go out there and just score, he's going to just do that. If you saw anything from his college days at VCU, you know that the one thing he has been able to do is score. He's a bucket getter. So I think if he fits I think his fit on this team will be very interesting considering that I'm not sure how many minutes he'll get to start off the season I could see anywhere between 15 to 20 coming off the bench in those first two months but I completely agree with you I think after those two months and Murray and with the exception that Murray is still out Bones Highland could end up being the starting point guard of this team at the end of the day so I think when we're also talking about you know players that are out in depth as well, and we mentioned a little bit with the players that are out with the Denver Nuggets, when uh, in uh, Will Barton and Jamal Murray. Let's talk about Golden State because this is a team that has a lot of interesting questions coming into this season. But one of the biggest questions coming into the season was how would the Warriors improve on their supporting cast? And they improved in a lot of different ways by getting Otto Porter, um, in free agency. They also got Nemanja. Bielitsa from Miami as a nice three-point shooter as well. But I think the one player that they didn't have last season was Clay Thompson. So, Carson, I'll start with you. How beneficial is Clay Thompson to this Warriors team?
2: Clay Thompson is the only man that I've been like – him and Damian Lillard, whenever they play the Kings, it is tough to watch. The dude dropped 37 on my Kings in the third quarter. And I remember (laughs) watching that game, and I'm like, dude – quadruple team him. Who cares about the rest? Like Clay Thompson, he I saw he changed his jumper a bit. It looks a little different. That would be interesting. Uh he was never an athletic player. Like you weren't expecting him to go out there and catch a body like a 360, but he he definitely will lose a little bit of that athleticism that he did have. Maybe it'll make him slower on the defensive end. But hey, Clay Thompson is a threat wherever he steps on the court, whether it's from 90 feet or whether it's from 30 feet. He is a threat, and that is scary. You look at this Warriors team, you're talking about their depth. Uh You look back at 2019, 2020. This team is awful. <laughs> besides D'Lo and, what, Steph Curry, this team second-best player was Draymond, and Draymond hasn't been elite Draymond. And then besides that, it's, what, Marquise Chris at the time? <laughs> oh, Andrew Wiggins, and then Marquise Chris is their fifth-best player, fourth-best player. Now you look at them, right? They bring back Iggy. They bring in Bielita. Those are two huge signings, whether they're in their prime or not, whether they're as good as they used to be, doesn't matter. Having that veteran leadership, bringing in Otto Porter is a huge signing and bringing in their two rookies. You know, Andrew Wiggins finally got the vaccine. So he's back and that's a, that's huge for them, but this team is just infinitely more. Deep at, than they were two, even two years ago. Look at Jordan Poole going crazy in preseason. It's just preseason, but that's a huge sign for what's to come. You still got Juan Toscano Anderson. I like, they brought back Jordan Bell. <laughs> I didn't think I'd see him back <laughs> for a while. No, I definitely like this team a lot better than they were this year, and I expect them to make a huge jump even with Clay Thompson not coming back for a couple months.
0: And I think the interesting thing too with the Clay Thompson move is that it seemed to have brought back a lot of energy. There's definitely like a different morale, a morale booster to Clay Thompson coming back to this Warriors team, and definitely has brought a new, a new renowned spirit and new energy to this Warriors team. But you mentioned a lot of different players for this team, and I also mentioned Otto Porter and, and Nemanja Bielitsa. There are so many different players you could look at on this team as potential X-Factors, and this is where I transitioned to Jalen on this one. Who is a potential X-Factor? this season for the golden state warriors
1: i'm gonna take the bail answer like the quote unquote easy answer and go with jordan Poole. but i think it's because of the fact that if you really look across the board he's the one who really has the next step or next jump um kind of trajectory in front of him i mean you know andrew wiggins consistent you know it's kind of like the consistent 17 points a game you kind of see that in him as it is Draymond Green I think that he I mean I thought he was like top five in you know the defensive player of the year conversation last year I think he has a little bit more freedom to kind of play within that this year but I mean you can't really improve Stephen Curry had to play out of his mind last year just for them to which he did (laughs) right about to say and uh, to go to Carson's point about Jordan Um, you know, he talks about preseason, but like, I mean, this does span sooner than that. I mean, last year, I mean, in particular, I mean, his performance against the Lakers was huge. Now, granted down the stretch, there were a couple of small mistakes that, that he made that kind of ended up costing them. Um, You could argue that, I mean, similar things kind of took place against Memphis as well, but that's just a young player in a very big environment. I think even with some of those blunders, he still played really well. Now the, to go back to something that you mentioned about Klay Thompson real fast, and I think this is important because Carson kinda touched on it, and I really want to just hammer it home. The main thing with Klay Thompson coming back is it bumps everybody down a peg where the lineups make sense. Like I think that's like something that people don't even realize about this this Warriors team right now, is that everything from a from a depth chart standpoint, it looks like oh they got bodies, but really line it up. They really don't have like a defined second unit at all, right? I think right I mean a, James Wiseman is out, so that makes things tricky. Uh Bielita, I, I think there should be a question as to whether or not, you know, he starts at center for them because like who's Kevon Looney? Like I'm just like going keep it a buck, like I don't really know who Kavan Looney is to this team uh besides just like a decent rim protector um I think he's going to be a guy you can throw lobs to but like he's not anybody crazy to me Bielita at least stretches the floor I wouldn't even be surprised if like Bielita started at the four and Draymond started at the five because like that actually makes even more sense um but like Klay Thompson in the starting lineup puts them in a situation where you know obviously they have Steph, Klay, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Insert center slash power forward here Jordan Poole comes off the bench as the microwave scorer that he's already been Andre Iguodala as we mentioned beforehand Otto Porter who I think if he's healthy this will go fine the issue with Otto is that he's (laughs) never always heard like, he's always, as a Wizards fan, I'm seizing a little bit right now because literally he robbed us. He shot like 45% from three or something crazy for like two years in a row, ran with the bag and bounced. Like, he, he, he hit us smooth with the alley in terms of getting bread and dipping out. The question for me is what the kids do. You know what I mean? Like, I think Juan Toscano Anderson and some of those other guys down this bench are going to be interesting. Gary Payton II, aka the Minton. I think he's going to be kind of interesting too as a guy who, like, you know, I think he's pretty solid on defense. I'm, 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 he's a guy that, um, you know, uh, Jeffrey, we had him on from the G League. Uh, he kind of put us on game in terms of some of those guys. And I went looking into Gary Payton a little bit. And defensively, that guy is, Really interesting. But going back to the kids, like, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, my question really with them is do they see time on the main roster and under what conditions? Are they going to play the bad teams, the Orlandos, the Clevelands of the world where we could kind of just see what their talent translates to? to? Right, what it, what it can translate to at its peak, or are these guys going to get, like, legitimate minutes in games where I think they're going to have to kind of learn how to win or lose in some cases games, or are they just going to go kill it in the G league and we kind of just, you know, allow them to develop while, you know, Golden State goes and tries to chase a ring. So if it's not Jordan Poole, I think it's the kids. I think that's the, that, the easy answer to it.
2: I think instantly we'll see impact from Moses Moody because like he already has an NBA type of game where he could play the small forward or shooting guard if he has to. And he's just three and D like at, at his worst, at his floor, he's three and D which every NBA team kind of wants. Jonathan Camino, he's the one that's a little more scary because you don't know what you can get from him. You, you could get, like, an all-star level player, or he could just be that athletic dude that dunks a lot and plays decent defense.
0: So I think the interesting thing with both of your points is that there's, there's not a definite X factor on this team. You can look at Jordan Poole and point to what he's done so far in the preseason and say that he can be an X factor, but then you look at these two rookies, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. I think Moses Moody sees more time on the floor, considering that Golden State does not have a lot of guard depth. And especially with Clay Thompson out right now, and he won't be back till I believe December, January, that, that, uh that timeline. But, um, I think Moses Moody may end up seeing more time, even against top-tier teams. I think you guys mentioned Orlando and Cleveland as teams that he will possibly play more against because they are some of the weaker teams in the league. But I could also see him getting time against teams like the Celtics, teams like the Lakers or the Clippers. I think those are going to be games where I feel like Moses Moody can actually show us his best. And I think he has the chance to be one of the best point guards or should I say guards in general, coming out of this draft or coming out of this draft class. But speaking of a lot of young talent, and we talk about, you know, the talent of Moses Moody and some of these younger players on the Golden State Warriors. Let's talk about the Houston Rockets, because this is a team with a lot of young, talented players. And let's just focus on other players not named Jalen Green or Kevin Porter Jr. So, Jalen, I want to start with you on this one. Who is a player not named Jalen Green? Or Kevin Porter Jr. that you expect to make a huge impact
1: this season? Oh, what? and Shingun, off top, off top. I mean, this dude is ridiculous. I mean, first of all, when, you know, you're a Turkish League MVP um, at his age, um, age 19, I mean, first of all, one of the biggest things, and I've heard this on multiple podcasts, so I'm kind of just pulling this as, uh, you know, an easy source to lean on the 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 code of law right is in overseas play when you perform in the manner that and sangun did over in the turkish league you typically don't fail like the track record for this is like pretty significant people got this wrong with Nikola jokic a long time ago um who ended up going what i think like 46 or something like that and i mean we see how that turned out (laughs) um luka Doncic is another guy who obviously you know playing for slovenia um that's another dude who was in that same ilk in terms of performing at a really high level overseas and then coming over and translating um his was more right away than nicole jokic so that's a little bit different but here's my thing bro albert Sengun is is six foot ten he's like nearly 250 pounds he's moving folks um one of the biggest questions with him was uh, his willingness slash his ability to shoot the three ball and i think a lot of people were worried about that um did you watch summer league the dude's gonna shoot it i think he's gonna i think he's actually gonna be pretty decent um, somewhere around 35%, 36%. And for him, that's pretty good. He's going to be one of the better rim rollers in the league. And I think an underrated thing about this team is that I know Kevin Porter Jr. is known for his scoring. And I know that it's going to be, you know, a back and forth tug on who leads the team in scoring between, you know, him, Jalen Green and Christian Wood. But Albert and Singoon, the fact that Kevin Porter is such a good passer, which is not really talked about that much. Alpernissing Goon is going to get into a lot of really interesting, you know, pockets where I think he's going to be able to do some damage. And if we look at the roster, this is another thing that I really want to take into account. If we look at the roster, who in the second unit is getting buckets? They have DJ Augustine, who needs to, he needs to hang up the laces bad, if we're just being honest. John Wall's (laughs) not playing this year, so, I mean, I'm not really worried about that. Eric Gordon is, I mean, he's probably their main scorer on the second unit, but there's a trade package waiting for him. Jayshon Tate, I like him as a guy who, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he started. I mean, as part of I his young. So. Group, I hope he does. Yeah, me too. And I mean, he gives the he gives the, the the starting lineup some defense, which they need. You know, I mean, they definitely need that help in that area. Uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. I like a lot, Um, but I think the guard that he's paired with in the second unit is gonna tell a lot about how well he can perform. So, like in reality, it's Alperin's second unit to run you know what i mean not in a point forward point center kind of way but as a guy that you can play through throw down low he can bang with bodies he's a guy who's willing to do that which is something that a lot of fives aren't open to doing anymore which i think gives him actually an advantage because most folks don't want to get down there with somebody you know um 250 250 so i think it's alvin and shangoon i think that he's going to be a really interesting character for this team yeah kind of on that
2: point I'd say this team's going to suck. I I really do think they're going to suck, but they're going to be fun. They are going to be fun. You got Jalen Green, can go and get a bucket. His efficiency might not be great this year. Kevin Porter Jr., I mean, look at the end of last season, one of the most fun players to watch. I don't know why he got traded off for such a small package. When I saw they were, like, looking to trade him, I was like, you're telling me this dude who was, like, one of the best player in his class, like, you're not going to even offer a first. It went, he went for what? A second?
1: Something yeah. Like that. It was, it was a late second too. It was like, it was basically a giveaway.
2: <laughs> I, um, I was listening to this podcast and they said this team is like an AAU basketball team. <laughs> like look, you got Josh Christopher, Jalen Green, who both changed a lot about like how high school basketball is played and what people mm-hmm. wear. Like they really did change a lot. Josh Christopher, I don't know what he does this year. He's very young. He didn't play that well at ASU, and I, it'll be interesting to see what he does. But Christian Wood, obviously, if he can stay healthy, he's he's really good. But the big question is, can he stay healthy? He mm. played basically the primary role last year with the Rockets and c- couldn't stay healthy. And then you got Eric Gordon, who he just needs to be traded. Like Get him to a contender get him right. to a team that he can actually have some help on. Maybe like the Wolves, get them a, a backup score off the bench. But uh, one of the guys who I think will be lost on this team is uh, Garuba. And mm, I, I think he's going to be lost. And it sucks because he does have some potential. But behind Sengun, Wood, Tice there's not really an important role for him to play. And I I see that. I'll find that interesting throughout this year.
1: The best way for us to kind of look forward in terms of, you know, teams that have a lot of questions to answer. I mean, obviously, you know, Houston is in a weird circumstance where they don't have to really worry about winning, but there's a lot of like core Slash, who's going to make this team long term that has to be figured out this, uh, this year, or at least the start of it. A team that I have even more questions about in a really odd kind of way is the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, Carson, I've been really, um, wishy washy on this team on the podcast the last couple of weeks. Um, as a team that I feel like on one end of the spectrum could end up being a play in team on the other end of the spectrum. Paul George could potentially be like a top five MVP candidate under the circumstance that they don't have a lot of expectation on them without Kawhi Leonard. At least a lot of people are already counting them out. And the last time that Paul George was on a team that had low expectations, he was top three in MVP. And I think that this team, at least the the unit around him is better than the Oklahoma city thunder team that he was playing on. I mean, obviously outside of Russell Westbrook, but I think that like as a unit, this team is at least a lot better. Um, So let's let's take it this way. Where do you where do you personally rank the Clippers amongst the West? Because I'm really not fully sure because I don't think I don't think Paul George can be an MVP candidate and be in the bottom three to four of the playoff race. But I also am not so sure about what they plan on doing this regular season because of missing Kawhi Leonard and not having a great timetable.
2: Yeah, honestly, this Clippers team is very wishy-washy without Kawhi because, obviously, Paul George, he he's a star. But the rest of this team is a bunch of role players, if you look at it. I got the Clippers at seven on my list of predictions right above the Mavericks. But that's just because I think Paul George has a better supporting cast than Luka right now. And you look at this team. Terrence Mann, he proved a lot in the playoffs. Justice Winslow? He has a lot to prove this season. Uh Sergi Baca, you know, he he does what he does. I think he's injured right now, but I mm-hmm. could be wrong. And then you got Petun Morris. So this team is well rounded. They just don't have that second star. And I will take that Thunder team with Russell Westbrook over this Paul George team without Kawhi. Just exactly. because the it's a lot they're a lot the league's a lot better now than they were back then. So they were able to kind of beat up on some of those weaker teams, even like the Rockets. If they catch you on an off night, they can put up 130 (laughs) easy with that, with how (laughs) scoring they have, with the scoring that they have. And you know, meeting some of those guys, (laughs) I met some of them and Sergi Baca was the only player to like try to avoid taking a picture, but so screw Sergi (laughs) Baca, but I, I definitely like this Clippers team if they have Kawhi because With Kawhi, they the holes that they're missing with that second lead score are is filled, and he I don't think I don't expect him to come back for a while. You know, Kawhi he has to be his diva self, so he he does he doesn't want to come back immediately if he doesn't have to, especially if they're the seventh seed.
1: Yeah, I mean they say that he's on a really nice trajectory right now. Some could argue that he might be a little bit above uh ahead of schedule. I agree with you on the timetable issue because even with all the good stuff in the media being mentioned about him looking really well, again, Kawhi it's Leonard is always one, something. He's one of those guys who I feel like again, and this is said a lot, so I'm not saying anything crazy controversial, but he's a guy that like if he's not 100%, he kind of doesn't want to play. Like yeah. it's just like it's just his MO. Um, Ryan, I kind of want to ask you a question about, um, this team's depth in a way that I think might clarify things a little bit more for me. And that really comes down to like, like, what do you think this team's second unit looks like? Because when I look at the depth chart, like right now, the the current projected starting lineup for them is Reddy Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, Paul George, Mar- Marcus Moore Sr., Vegas Zubac, which like, I'm actually like kind of okay with that I don't hate that that much Carson tell Carson okay let me let me get to you real quick just because I actually I, I, okay why don't you think that's an okay starting lineup and who would you have in starting lineup I know I know the guy that I think you're gonna mention but where
2: I'd rather have Paul George play the two and okay. I'd rather have Marcus Morris and Batum start together at the three and four
1: okay so you win a completely different so you have Batum starting okay tell me why yeah. tell me why Ruth
2: I think that I'd rather have PG play that two just because he doesn't have to guard all the threes. So it's easier. A lot of the twos aren't as strong as the threes. So yeah. he's going to be able to put more offensively than he would have to on the defensive end at the three. Also, Eric Bledsoe can be a firecracker off the bench more than what they have now because they don't have, besides Terrence Mann, like who's their leading scorer off the bench? <laughs> Luke Kennard? Like, no. Yeah. So yeah. obviously Zubak is starting. Obviously PG is starting. I think Reggie Jackson, with the performances that he had in the last playoffs, he's probably a shoo-in, and Marcus Morris is a shoo-in, so it comes down to would you rather have uh, Batum or who, Bledsoe? And I'm taking Batum every time just because of his floor yeah. spacing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's definitely more versatile. You're not going to have to worry about him hogging up the ball. He's a guy who can, uh, he can definitely pass. I think anybody who oh, yeah. sleeps on Batum's <laughs> passing, I think that's the one thing that made him really, um, nice as a commodity last year. But okay, Ryan, that, that takes me to second, second unit lineup in this way then. That puts you in a position where you are probably playing really small on the second unit if Batum starts because Eric Bledsoe is going to play, Tennis Mann is going to play, Look, I, I understand that we're not all big fans of Luke Kennard here, but he's probably starting, and Terrence Mann will obviously probably play the three in this lineup, which is kind of weird. Um I'm not betting on Justice Winslow anymore. Ryan, you, you saw me do this with the Grizzlies last year, and it literally hurt my soul that this man basically didn't play, and when he did play, he was shooting three-pointers that dang near hit people in the stands that was so far <laughs> off. Like – I, I I like he has to prove it to me. Like Justice Winslow to me just needs to prove that he's actually healthy. And then after that, I think it's Serge, but Serge is out right now, so it's probably either Isaiah Hartenstein or Harry Giles, which Harry Harry. I, I think if it's Harry, that might be like a low key underrated thing because I think Harry's nice. Like oh, yeah. I told you last year I was gassing Carson, I was gassing Harry on um Portland last year because I thought that they didn't they didn't legitimately have like a solid big rotation and um for whatever reason he didn't play like as much as I would have thought but you know I digress I think on this team he'll actually get some PT especially if Serge Bob is out so how do you feel about their second line uh, their second unit Ryan because it's it's small it's small and the other thing about it is I'm not sure if a team that is so devoid of depth can actually be like a top five top six team in the Western Conference
0: so if we're looking at this team with the starting lineup of Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum and Avika Zubak, I think my 6th my my 6th man of the year would have to be Terrence Mann. Given what he did in the playoffs, that 39 point game I feel like really put him on the map and I think his scoring ability paired with Eric Bledsoe's scoring ability coming off the bench, I think that could be deadly for a Los Angeles Clippers team that just tremendously needs help in their second unit. When I look at the three through the five, obviously I will start with the five and just saying that Harry Giles starts. I think it just makes sense. I think the fit is better. He's really played well, especially with what you mentioned with Portland. I think he's a very underrated guy for this Los Angeles Clippers team. I think outside, I think that 3-4 area could be very interesting because they, they could go small which in that case I would have to put Justice Winslow at the four and then maybe put a third guard in there. And that's a, that's where it gets very interesting, trying to find a third guard not named Luke Kennard and then also playing Justice Winslow at the four. I think if you look at their other guards, you could also look at somebody like probably Keon Johnson as their as their first-round pick that ends up getting a getting, uh, starting Brandon minutes.
2: Boston looked good too. Brandon exactly.
0: Boston as well. So I feel like there's a lot of different possibilities. I think that 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 three position could be the interesting thing because there's so many guys that you could fill in if you want to make a small ball lineup. You could put in, like you said, with uh, Brandon Boston, Keon Johnson probably fits that role, Luke Kennard, Amir Coffey, Jay Scrub from JUCO, who I think could end up being a very solid player in the NBA. Uh You could even throw in guys like Jason Preston who were drafted in the second round that, that he could probably fill in in the second unit as well, uh, somewhere between the one and the three. But I'm not really 100% sure who fills out the second unit because I just think there are a lot of questions with the guard, with the guard department, even with the small forward department. Um, but I think it'll be very interesting to see what this, what the second unit looks like coming into the season, especially without Kawhi Leonard and how they perform even without, um, even without Kawhi Leonard, will they be able to reach the Western Conference Finals next season? And I think that'll be another interesting question, but going from one Western Conference Finals contender to another Western Conference Finals contender, possibly even a Finals contender in the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm not sure how both of you feel about the the current Lakers roster, but there's definitely some chemistry uh, questions with this team. Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony LeBron James sharing the floor. We definitely saw a little bit a little bit with that in the preseason some of the younger guys stepping up like Austin Reeves and uh Mac McClung for this team as well. I think this this is just a very interesting team overall, but Carson, I want to start with you because a lot of people are already pinning this team as a championship contender, and there's a lot of questions about whether or not LeBron James will be the same player after last season. Is Anthony Davis the same player after last season? So, how do you feel about their current roster, and how will they gel on the court together?
2: You know, staying healthy, obviously, they're probably going to the Western Conference Finals. But my bigger question is, after watching these first couple of games of preseason, both of you guys, would you go back and trade for Buddy Heald instead of Russell Westbrook if you were the Lakers' GM? Yes. Yes, yeah. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes they could have made. He had what? Russell Westbrook had nine turnovers in 17 minutes, something like that.
1: 15 in two playing, games.
2: That's, that's not good. And you're playing next to LeBron James, who is not going to be able to handle that for too long. Then you got Carmel. This team just feels like they threw in a bunch of players that can kind of score. Like most of these guys can score, uh, besides like they have one, fa- two facilitators, Rondo and LeBron, two, Legit facilitators. Obviously, Russell Westbrook can pass because he's a point guard. But you don't want him having the ball in his hands very often. Then you got guys like Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Mac McClung, Kent Bazemore. I think Wayne Ellington will be huge. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's one of the most slept-on pickups. Uh THT, I, I do think he's super overrated. I haven't seen anything that makes me say, like, oh, this dude is a starter on any other team.
1: I kind of agree a, with you.
2: Like there's nothing great about his game. He's he looks really small on the court. He's kind of like a like a um a fire hose. Like that's his body style and he kind of just runs into people and hopes it goes in. I haven't seen anything that makes me have confidence in him. Otherwise, um Cam Oliver, I actually recorded him at a tournament a couple months ago. So this team then you got DeAndre Jordan. My bad. DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, who – Dwight Howard will be huge, but why is DeAndre Jordan there? Like, there's better pickups that they could have made, I, I believe. Like, is he just there for morale at this point, giving him a ring or something? Uh This team, Western Conference Finals, if they stay healthy. But staying healthy is going to be important because you got an aging LeBron. AD is never healthy. And then Russell Westbrook, he's going to play every single
0: game, whether that hurts you or it doesn't. So, Jalen, let's look at some of the negatives of this because we definitely have a lot of questions about this team going mm-hmm. forward. Russell Westbrook definitely was a big question going into this season in terms of his trade value, um, what he was doing with this team. I think it's already interesting. I mean the amount of turnovers in the preseason that's already a big question and he's he's known for being a guy who has a high turnover rate. Other players like Anthony Davis and LeBron James aging. I mean you also kind of look at some of the players some of the players on this team in terms of fit and it just doesn't make sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If all things go wrong and this team does not stay healthy, does this team still make the playoffs?
1: If they're not healthy, I don't think they make it the playoffs, because we've seen that that plagued them last last season, and they just barely made it as a playing team um and i don't I think their roster was at least like a little bit better um overall last season, but Ryan, I'm gonna do you one better as currently constructed, I think this team's a playing team. I think this team's a playing team. I think Wait, I literally uh, with them healthy, think, healthy right now. I think this team's a playing team. I think you th- they're. What? I think the top end. Uh, I think the top end standings wise is probably five six maybe.
2: You're crazy. You're
1: let crazy. me tell you why, Carson. Hold on, bro. Hold on. You got. I, I, I don't. I don't think.
0: I don't think that's as crazy as you think it is.
1: Because okay, Carson. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. I'm gonna ask you two questions. You answer them yes or no. Do you think okay. that they're gonna take the regular season seriously? No, do you think this team is playing top ten level defense like they've done the last two years? Let's see they got several the reasons hurt. Defense. They have Carmelo Anthony on this team now who did hurt Portland defensively. the White House no for them I'll say no. okay, so you're not a top ten defense. You're not taking the regular season seriously. Russell Westbrook has the chance to win you or lose you games. They don't have the depth to withstand with LeBron James goes down, but let's say as healthy, right? Even with that being the case, LeBron James not playing 82 games. He can tell you whatever he wants to in terms of you know like meaning it like what it means for fans and da da da. da. He's not playing 82 games. And if he is playing 82 games, he's definitely going to have to start playing reduced minutes. So, he has to take that into account. Again, I don't want to play the injury card, but like Anthony Davis is another guy who comes into this area where we have to like talk about whether or not he's going to be able to stay on the court. Like I said, Trevor Reese is already injured and that's kind of bad that I'm already leaning on somebody like that to play an intric like an intricate part on this team. We're talking about guys like I think Wayne Ellington, I agree with you that. I think that was like low key underrated, but like Kent Bazemore, low key solid shot like 39% from 3, but like he's in a way bigger role than what he had to be last season. Kendrick Nunn I'm not really sure what Kendrick Nunn is right now. You know what I mean? Because he's a, he's a volatile player. He's a very like streaky guy. Malik Monk is what's going to define what this team looks like moving forward from a scoring standpoint because he's like the only def, like defined bucket getter as we usually say on this podcast. That's the only guy that I think could actually create his own shot on this team outside of like, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis.
2: So here's my rebuttal, right? Do you think when healthy, they're better than the Clippers. Sure.
1: Okay. Sure. Do you think, when healthy, they're better than the Mavericks? Wait, is this all about, okay, just better or like in terms of regular season playing 82 games?
2: You think they're record. Uh, I mean, okay. Do you think. I don't think, because I don't think they're going to be better than
1: okay. Dallas in the record books. I don't think they're going to be. I think the Clippers, I think you could argue that, but I don't think they're going to be better than Dallas. In terms of that, Dallas is going to take the regular season seriously. They're tired of m- meeting the wrong matchups in the playoffs. I think they're going to take just the don't regular see, season seriously.
2: So even back when Russell Westbrook had absolutely no one on those Thunder teams, right? Still made the playoffs, right? And he wasn't a seven seed. I believe he was a six seed. So I just don't see a way when you have three at least superstars or former superstars, you're, you're a seven, seven seed. I don't see it. Didn't you you
1: just say earlier, talking about Paul George, that the West was also a a lot better this year than then?
2: 100%. But when Russell Westbrook was by himself in OKC, did he have a guy like AD for even 30 games? Did he have a guy like LeBron for like 50 games? Because LeBron's going to play 50 plus games. He's going to make sure he's not the 7th seed because he doesn't want to play in that play-in game again.
1: That's two bodies, though, Carson. That's my thing. You, and you we're already worried about the fit between the three of them as it is. They're so worried about the fit between the three of them. The three of them haven't even played together in the preseason yet. It's been so, an iteration of the two of the three, but they haven't even played as a full unit yet in the preseason.
2: So when I brought up the Buddy Heal thing, right, yeah. is if you want to be a championship championship team, Buddy Hill's is a better player for this team. But right. If you want to make the playoffs and – play well in the regular season Russell Westbrook will do that
1: so what do you think they're going to finish in the standings though that's my thing because I think the top end is like five six and I, I, I really feel like the difference between a game or two in the west isn't that crazy to the point that finishing seven eight is going to be that distinctive I think they can finish seven eight but only five, be six. a game behind I got yeah. five six I'm gonna say I think the top end is five six I don't my my genuine thought is like okay let's go down let's go down the west I think Utah's gonna take the regular season seriously. I think they might even be the one seed again. Uh, Phoenix, uh, I think actually has a better chance of being the one seed, but I think it'll just come down to their injury luck because last year they didn't really get hit by the injury bug that much yeah, last I
2: mean, year. Chris Paul, you know, is bound to...
1: Right, so that's one of those things. That's the only reason why I think I'm penciling Utah in as the one seed is just because they're going to take the regular season seriously and they have the depth to overcome it. Phoenix, I think, is going to be in there. I think Denver's going to be solid. I think Dallas is going to take the regular season seriously. I think, first of all, I think that this is just going to be an overall better season because I think the unit around Luca makes more sense, and this is the first healthy season for Christoph Porzingis, so at least for Dallas. This is the first official healthy offseason he's had so i think that's going to be huge i think golden state I, I don't i don't think that they're a better team overall but i think in terms of the regular season i think that's a team that's going to try to take the standings extremely seriously because they want to be in the running before Klay thompson comes back which means you need to be in the four five six mix by january i think they'll realistically be in that area portland if they shoot if they're not in the top six somebody in the front office is getting fought on because the offseason wasn't even that great for them as it was I mean basically if they don't make that trade for Larry Nance Jr this offseason nothing happened so and this is this is talking about a team that Dame Lillard said get me help or we might have problems and their big move was let me go get Larry (laughs) Nance Jr which I think is going to improve their defense don't get me wrong I think that's going to help them significantly and I think there's like uh, 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 a secret universe where, like, if he plays like the four for them in the starting lineup, they might actually be really crazy with him and Nurkic in the front court. So, like, though, that's already five, six teams right there. I think when you look across the rest of the West, right, the Clippers are going to be scrappy. I think that, the, I think a lot of people are sleeping on them, and that's the thing that's going to be kind of dangerous because I think they're going to steal some wins. Memphis is good. Sacramento is good. I think people are sleeping on Sacramento. We'll talk about them a little bit later. I'm not just gassing them because you're on the pod. I genuinely like feel some type of way about Sacramento this year. I think that Minnesota, I don't think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs, but like you can't tell me their roster is not like at least building into something decent, at least with the top four to five the guys.
2: They should at. be good. They
1: should you be You see good. what I'm saying? So I mean, as you go along the, as you go along the Western Conference, the only teams that I have like legitimate concerns about like where I can like feel comfortable penciling them in to miss the miss the playoffs is OKC and Houston I'm starting to come around on New Orleans too um we'll talk about them a little bit later but like especially if Zion is gonna miss time which it looks like he's gonna miss like at least the start of the season I don't feel great about New Orleans either but the rest of the West is gonna take the the regular season seriously and I don't think the Lakers are I think if you're gonna sleepwalk through the regular season you're gonna wake up somewhere in February. And mess around and be in the 6-7 spot and be fighting for dear life at the end of the season. And an older roster like this is not going to want to be in that situation. Very old. That's so very old. My thing is, the reason why I say they're a play-in team is because I think they're going to sleepwalk through the regular season. And that's going to put them in a disadvantageous situation, considering the fact that not only are they an old team that's not going to want to make a late-season push, but again, who is playing defense on this team? I think that alone is going to make this team. Besides fun. AD, right? And I mean, I'll give Trevor a reason, but like again, thirty six, like yeah, he's, he's thirty six year old. old, and you're he's old on partner. him to be like a two way player for you. It's far gone, like you know what I mean. So that's why I got. I don't think it's as crazy to say they're a playing team as it looks. I still think all things being equal, when it's playoff time, oh, they're top two for me in terms of like potentially being able to make at least the finals. I think fully healthy in terms of the playoffs. I trust them, but that's a sixteen-game trudge. You feel me? But through eighty-two games, record-wise, I just got concerns about them. That's really it.
2: No, I think you got some fair points there. I just don't see it, and Absolutely. obviously, it's anything's possible, right? The Kings could be the number seven seed.
1: <laughs> Is it likely? No. I, Wait, wait. Okay, we'll get to them in a little bit. I'm gonna yeah, let, we're, yeah. we're gonna let Ryan keep trudging pr- us through here because we got a lot of the West still to get through. But I, I think even as a Kings fan, you might be sleeping on them. I got something to say about them.
0: So let me just say this real quick about the Lakers because I actually agree with Jalen on this one because I don't think that this team is a top contender in the Western Conference as currently as currently constructed. I think there's way too many questions about their continuity. I think that the players their their age. They are one of the oldest teams in the league. I don't think that helps their case at all. Is this team going to be really competitive in 82 games? The answer is no. I just think that it's really going to have to rely on their younger players to step up. I think Malik Monk is somebody that I want to pencil in as somebody that could possibly in a, be in a six man six man of the year candidate because of his ability to shoot the three ball and his and his ability to score. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of younger players on this team get a lot of minutes. I mentioned. Austin Reeves and Mac McClellan earlier. I think there is a huge possibility that somebody like Kendrick Nunn could go off for this team, but he's not somebody that is consistent. But I think somebody, I think there's got to be a young player on this team that steps up big time for this team to, to win a lot of their games. If I had to pick how many games this team wins, I would have to pencil in somewhere between 40 and 45. I'm not that high on them. I have a lot of concerns about this team and LeBron playing 82 games that's i think with the reduced minutes that's something that the Lakers will probably have to consider.
1: Yeah, I think that that might be your, the the most fair point out there is if LeBron plays on a lower pitch count and you're asking the bench specifically like their backcourt more so, right, to play even 5 more minutes than what you would typically get out of a LeBron James based team. I think that hurts them like I think that legitimately puts them in a bind and again I could be completely off my rocker overrating the fact that Russell Westbrook does win games I do feel like he loses you games as well because the turnover count is huge I mean he's been top five in turnovers like all of the last four years so like let's you know we can't pretend like he doesn't have that volatility to lead the league in assists but also lead the league in turnovers and meet himself at one to one in the assisted turnover ratio. So like, it's going
2: to be like one to two or something like that. You
1: know like what I mean? Really? Like, so I think the biggest thing is like, again, I talent wise, if we're talking about making a run in the playoffs, I don't view them this lowly. I actually think they're a top two contender in the Western conference, but in terms of the road to the playoffs, I, I just, I, I think the regular season is going to be tricky.
0: I think the best way that you can determine how good this Lakers team could be this season is if you, you look at the top five teams in the Western Conference currently without the Lakers and see if the Lakers can beat those five teams in a seven game series. And I think that's going to be the question going forward. What if they, can they be a team like Utah or Phoenix or Dallas or the Clippers or Denver or even Portland with even though they didn't make a lot of moves, they made the one move that could be beneficial to them this season and getting Larry Nance Jr. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can honestly line up five or six different teams outside of the Lakers and ask yourself, how does this team line up with this team in a seven game series? But I think that's going to be very interesting this season for the Lakers, but another interesting team in the Western conference. And this is one of Jalen's favorite teams, the Memphis Grizzlies. And, I think it's only fair to start with Jalen on this one because I think there's a lot of things that are impressive about this Grizzlies team. But what has impressed you so far about the Grizzlies as a team? And what is one thing that this team can do to become a Western Conference Finals contender?
1: Okay, so my thing with Memphis is they have significant depth. And I think that's one of the bigger things that's going to help them through the regular season. This is like a really young squad that is, I mean, across the board. I feel like they are in a position to really make headways because they have a couple of guys who I don't think we've seen the best versions of themselves yet. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is the main guy for me in terms of this season. I think he's a guy that he's going to have to play huge for this team. I especially think offensively that's going to be a big thing, especially with Jonas Valanciunas being out. I know bringing Steven Adams in is – a decent exchange in terms of helping defensively because Jonas Valanciunas is not a better defensive player than Steven Adams that's off top but from an offensive standpoint it's a regression but the 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 exchange for that is that you hope that you get better defense from Steven Adams and you get the two-way play of Jaron Jackson Jr. which you missed last season so I think that's huge um, they traded Grayson Allen, which I think will open up more minutes for De'Anthony Melton, somebody who was, like, low-key solid for them last year. And Jenkins just wasn't playing him like that for some reason. So I think they did, like, an addition by subtraction thing where they're like, look – Taylor, you got to play D'Anthony. And I know that you love Grayson, but you got to play D'Anthony. So they basically moved on from Grayson Allen in order to be able to give D'Anthony Melton more time. Desmond Bain was huge his rookie year. I think he's going to be another guy that's going to be really interesting for this squad, considering that he is like a true two-way player for them. And across the board, they've got guys with two-way capability. D- Dylan Brooks, two-way capability. Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. I think Brandon Clark is a is a weird guy for this team for me now. Um, he was a guy who I was really high on out of the draft and now I'm kind of wondering where his fit is. And I think that has to do with the fact that I think in big moments, Xavier Tillman from Michigan State, somebody me and Ryan, we we were huge on him out of the draft actually. Um, Xavier Tillman's Loki outplayed him in like big moments. Um, I think they're going to end up starting next to each other in the front court um in that second unit. So maybe we could see, cause I think Xavier Tillman's a really like, like underrated passer and I think Brandon Clark as a high flyer is gonna be like an interesting two man game for them. Especially because Brandon Clark is more likely to step out to the three than Xavier, which I think helps them in terms of balancing the second unit. I mean, you get further down the line. I mean, Jared Culver is an interesting prospect for this team who I think is going to get some burns. Zaire Williams is a guy who they drafted. I think that his upside, if given the chance to like really kind of play freely, I think that he could be like really scary for this team and be everything that Justice Winslow was supposed to be for them last year. And I was high on Justice Winslow as an acquisition for them, especially because they did it for almost nothing. I mean, it's for Andre Iguodala who wasn't playing for them. I thought if justice Winslow with his skill set, could play as like a point forward type could contribute heavily to this team. I think if Zaire Williams can fill into that role, basically my, this my long story short to all of this is they go like 10 to 11 deep. And that stands out to me a lot because of the fact that there's not a lot of teams in the entire NBA that have that kind of depth. This is another one of those teams from a regular season standpoint, you know, they got a taste of the playoffs last year. I think, uh, the, with, uh, with the fact that they did it in the manner they did through the play in tournament I think they also know that they don't want to go through that again um I think the play on play in tournament is the most exciting thing for fans and the most stressful thing in the world for a player um because it's game 7s basically you know what I mean Ryan we covered this for the beginning of the WNBA playoffs you know that winner go home <laughs> situation is is a scary one um but I think their depth, I think their depth stands out more than anybody from a talent standpoint. I think everybody is pretty solid on this team, but the fact that they have 11 pretty solid if not top end guys, I talking about, you know, Jaw and Jaren, I mean that's crazy.
2: I really didn't understand the trade with Jonas Valančiūnas. Okay. Like he he was their best player last year. At, throughout the regular year the regular season, obviously Jaw went crazy in that in the against the Warriors, but Honestly, he could have been MVP, was Jonas Valanciunas. Now you get Steven Adams, who he can't knock down that three. He's not spacing the floor for you like Jonas could. He's not banging down low and getting you a bucket like Jonas could. Obviously, Steven Adams can score a bit, but he's not touching anyone up in the post. Uh, Jaron Jackson is what takes this team to the next level. If you can get 65 games out of him, mm-hmm. then this team has a chance to... Be that top part of the playing. Other than that, I, I really like Jared Culver's I, the idea of Jared Culver, and it'll be interesting to see because there's a lot of people who we think like the idea is a lot better than what we actually get. Chris Hapsonzings mm-hmm. is kind of the same way. The idea of Chris Taps, the seven-one dude who can shoot the three and bang down low, that's a great idea, but he hasn't done that. Uh, Brandon Clark, I liked what you talked about him. Obviously, Tillman has outplayed him. And whether that's, I think Brandon Clark has all the physical attributes, but Xavier Tillman has just played him, played better mentally than Brandon Clark has through mm-hmm. these past. Cause Brandon Clark was playing more than, uh, was playing a lot his rookie year. And then it just kind of fell off when Tillman got there, especially in the playoffs. Kyle Anderson, you know, just slow mo, like he, mm-hmm. he plays his role. I love, I love his game, but this, this team is, very mid I think they're not going to play amazing they're not going to get out there in the 5-6 seed but you know they're going to compete and I think we'll talk more about the Pelicans Kings Wolves but I think that those four teams could all be within one game of each other easily
1: okay I think I mean this is some house cleaning the one I mean the the main reason why the trade for Stephen Adams happened was just money um Jonas Valanciunas is about to expire in terms of his contract. And they have to pay Jaron, or That's at least they're loss. looking at it. I agree that it's a. Here's my thing. I agree that it's a hit, offensively. Defensively, I think it steps up in a way that the question you have to ask yourself now is: A, can Jaron Jackson Jr. make up for what was what is lost offensively in Jonas Valanciunas? That's a huge question, but I think he has the capability of it. And B. Can John Morant take another step offensively? Which in the main area we're talking to about, he's gonna knock down three. that three. He's gotta hit the three. That's because the big, that's Steven the big Adams, thing.
2: Stephen yeah. Adams is gonna take up that entire paint. Like right. you're not gonna have him sit in the corner because no one's going to guard him out there. And right. now you have two guys guarding the paint because Jaw has not been an elite shooter at any level yet. Mm. And like obviously, his I think Jaw's energy is so much more important than actually how he plays because he's he's a high energy player. Mm. and he still has a lot to work on and he's young so of course he can still work on that but with Steven Adams down there it's going to take up a lot of those open dunks that he was getting yeah
1: I'm worried about I'm worried about the fit too I'm not I'm not going to sit here and hold you I'm worried about the fit but I don't think it's terrible I don't think it's terrible
0: so given how deep this team is with the players that both Jalen and Carson that you mentioned real quick How many years do you think it will take for this team to be a Western Conference Finals contender? One. Carson? I think that's... Oh, okay. I I need some explanation on that one. Why four years? I think
2: Jaron Jackson, uh, what we've seen from him right now, he's not going to give you 23, 24, and Ja can give you 20, right? What I think will take this team to the next level is Zaire Williams. If he can give you... When he hits that upper echelon of like where he's averaging 18 19 that's when this team could take that next jump and I think that's gonna take four years because Zaire's young he's very young I think he's what he's 20 and so he still has a lot to learn at the NBA level um he was high out of high school played well at Stanford but he still has a lot to learn just like any other rookie
1: by the way I say one as in like one more like not this year then next year I mean like you know, 2022, 23, like, or 2023, 24. So, like, it's kind of like a year or two down the line. The reason why I say that is because they've made incremental jumps. They went from just barely missing the playoffs to winning in the play-in. These teams, you the, the, the tricky part about your answer, Carson, and me, is are we factoring in the guys who are going to be out the door in four years, too? Because... Think about the guys in that time frame that could be gone. The reason why I say two is because two seasons from now could LeBron James be out? Could Steph Curry Probably. be gone? Probably. Could a guy like Could a guy like Russell Westbrook be knocking on the door? Could a lot of these like They oh, still
2: got AD out there in LA.
1: I don't know if I trust an AD led team by himself, but that's a totally different conversation. I think that's just out of the fact that like if we take the track history, the track record from um, New, New Orleans, Orleans, it puts you the in a box. Right. He's in a large market now. He's in a so large market. So at least market. from an attraction standpoint, he might be able to bring in other guys. And that'll be the big question for them moving forward. But like my biggest thing moving forward is like, I think in a 2 years time st- two to three-year time span, more so two years, I think we could see a significant shift in like the kind of talent that's in the league. And when we say finals contender, we're saying like teams that we think are going to be like at least top five in their conference in terms of the standings teams yeah. that have at least one like all-star slash MVP caliber player, if not two, which I think in this case, John Morant, and if they lock up Jenner Jackson like they're supposed to, I think that's two all-star caliber players. They'll have the the pieces to do what they need to do. And I think that, you know, the Grizzlies in terms of development, a lot of these younger guys, I think the main thing is you have to get this done while John Morant's not on a max, right? Yeah, so that that's, that's another reason. That's another reason why I pick like one to two years is because that's the time frame you have left to really make money moves to put this team in the right position before John gets paid. So I think it's like, I think it's like one or two, more like two, but we'll see.
0: So I think this year they're a playoff contender. I think next year is when we could really start talking about this team as a as a possible Western Conference Finals contender. I think it's mainly because of the shift in the Western Conference. You see teams like the Lakers that are kind of falling down the totem pole. You see teams like the Blazers falling down the totem pole and you see other teams that are different that we don't really expect to be Western Conference Finals contenders. I'm talking about the teams like Phoenix and the teams like, you know, even, even Dallas is in that conversation as well with, with the new supporting cast that Luca has. So I think if you give it time and also factoring in that John Morant is also up for a max extension, So I think in that time frame is where I agree with Jalen. You have to start making these money moves to bring in stars that could play to your team, but you also have to factor in that this team is developing, and if this team is continually is continuing to incrementally jump in the standings as they are going from a playoff team that barely missed the playoffs the first year to a playoff team that snuck in as an eight seed. To possibly a team that ends up making the, making the playoffs as a lock instead of a, a playing contender to possibly even like a, a three, four, five team the next year. I think that's going to be very interesting going forward. And I think it's really just going to be based on the improvement of their young players. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bean, even somebody like Zaire Williams, who I think is an X factor for this team. So there's just so much happening right now in Memphis that I think there's just a, a new sense of energy that this team could be a Western Conference Finals contender. But going on now to the New Orleans Pelicans, and this is a team with a lot of questions and mainly has dealt with a lot of change, uh, mainly to their roster, to coaches, to management, etc. But it's also had a pretty big effect on Zion Williamson. So, Jalen, I want to start with you. What effect is this having not only on the team, but also – On Zion Williamson
1: so are you talking about like the roster construction of it what is it um this team doesn't make sense (laughs) um I understand how low we might be on the 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 trade that took place um with them in Memphis but this team makes even less sense to me than they did last year I don't understand what the ploy to push Lonzo Ball out was i don't understand why that was such a big deal now to chicago's benefit which i'm not mad about because i have literally loved preseason so far i'm not mad that they didn't want him but i don't understand that a team that sucked on defense last year got rid of like one of their better defensive players um and exchanged him for Devonte graham of all people which i think is gonna shoot it but he's not gonna they don't have defense.
2: a problem scoring that's the issue like Zion right. can score, Bi can score. So yeah. why do you bring in a dude who's just going to be able to, like, come off the bench and he's going to have to start? So
1: yeah. all he does is shoot. Yeah, I don't, I don't get. I mean, I think that I think the the only logic I can apply is that they're doubling down on what they know they're good at, um, especially by getting Jonas Valanciunas, I think, and and, and Devonte Graham on top of it. I think maybe doubling down on the buckets is just their way of off putting the fact that they are bad defensively. Zion Williamson being out hurts them, but the other here's the interesting thing about this. Their team is constructed in an odd way that if you were to if their two best players being Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram committed to the defensive end, this would be a team that we wouldn't that we would be penciling somewhere between eight, 6
2: and 8. eight 7 8 For real.
1: Yeah seriously I think that I think it's really that simple I mean the crazy part about Zion Williamson to me besides the injuries because I mean it's piling up ridiculously at this point but have you guys noticed how significantly um or I'll say let me word it this way the lack of intensity he showed on the defensive end in comparison to his one year at Duke I feel like it's like been such a significant drop in yeah, that it almost seems like had you gotten this version of Zion Williamson offensively, I think he still would have been a top five pick. But I don't know if he would have went number one overall if he didn't pop offensively, I mean defensively, the way he did at Duke, the defensive capabilities that he showed at Duke. I I'm concerned about that. And then B.I., he has all the length in the world to be able to guard You know, at least you know threes and fours, and I think he has like decent lateral quickness that maybe guard like ones and twos if it's like fair, you know, in like a zone concept or something like that. So I just wish those two guys would commit on the defensive end because it would take this team um a lot further. Um, the guy that I'm highest on is Trey Murphy the third. I mean, the dude's been balling out in free season. The dude's balled out in summer league. The dude, um. Was, uh, pretty solid at Virginia as well. He, I mean, if he's gonna hit the three ball the way he has done in the preseason, I think he hit three, I think he hit six threes in the first two games of preseason that they played. If he's gonna hit the clip like that, you still got a guy like Josh Hart on this team. Um, Thomas Sadaransky, as much as I didn't love him on my Chicago Bulls, I'm not mad at him as a backup point guard for this team. Uh, Kira Lewis Jr., who I think might be an interesting player for this team. Hopefully, you see a little bit more of them. I mean, the two guys for me is Nikhil Alexander Walker, Trey Murphy the third. I think if those two guys can play really solid within an expanded role, Trey Murphy being a guy who I think might be the lead second units and Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's finally going to get a crack at the starting lineup. If those two guys are solid offensively and Trey Murphy is even half of the three and D guy, you know, on that other side of the ball as, as being, you know, being in a match blow for blow on offense and defense as he, as we've seen. I think those two guys could be um, big or major players as to where this team finishes, especially because they're going to get a lot of time with Zion out.
2: Yeah, just this team makes no sense. You got, uh, again, why why did they draft Kyra Lewis? It, it, it really didn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: You already had Nikhil Alexander Walker and Lonzo, and now you lose Lonzo, so maybe, oh, Kyra might get some more minutes. No, they bring in Devontae Graham. Like, that makes no sense. The only reason I see them getting rid of Lonzo is that they love Nikhil Alexander Walker that much more. Mm. You have, he better average like 22. Cause you know <laughs> what, you know what Lonzo's gonna give you? He's gonna give you 15, 7 and 4. That's what? For all sure. they needed. And defensively, he's bringing it every single night. Alexander Walker, we haven't seen him play defensive like that. And they're, they they lost a lot of defense with Lonzo and Steven Adams. Uh, obviously this team can score, but if you can't guard anyone, like, look what happened to the Knicks. End of the day, they couldn't guard Brook, uh, guard Milwaukee. And obviously injuries didn't help that, but at the end of the day, hey, if they have a couple more defensive guys. Who knows how far they could have gone. Uh, Other than that, I mean, this team, not deep at all. If winning Gabriel is on your roster, it's not looking (laughs) too good. Spoken
1: like a true Kings fan, bro. (laughs) That's foul. Yeah.
2: Jackson Hayes, like, very overrated. I thought he'd be at least somewhat decent coming into the league, like athletic freak, and then hasn't done anything. So this Pelicans team – But more and more I look at it and really analyze this team, I I don't expect much. I think out of the Wolves, Kings, Pels, and Grizzlies, they're probably the worst team out of that. And that's with Zion hurt right now. Like, that doesn't help them at all. I just think it's very tough
0: because of the fact that this team has gone through so much change that you can't really pencil them in as a playoff team. I just think there's there's too many question marks with this team. Zion's health. I think the improvement of people or of players, should I say, um like Kira Lewis Jr, like Jackson Hayes. I feel like we're we're still waiting on them to really make a jump in their careers. And I think also with players like Jonas Valančiūnas, what is his fit on this team going to look like? But going back to Minnesota, I think that this is a very another very interesting team that could also be a very underrated team from the roster construction. And I think that one of the most intriguing players on this roster is Anthony Edwards. So, Carson, I want to start with you on this one. Anthony Edwards, who almost won Rookie of the Year last year, what do you expect to see from here? What do you expect to see from him in year two?
2: What I hope from Anthony Edwards is an increase in efficiency. He wasn't very efficient. I know he finished the season like balling. But his numbers didn't look amazing from the field, from three point. So if he can increase that, then that just takes him to the next level, and that would be huge for this team. The issue I have with this team is Cat is what their their older player, and Delos had a little bit of playoff experience. They both had a what one year, and that kind of scares me because you have Anthony Edwards who doesn't have any. So this team's very young, and. Maybe in those games where they some must win late in the season, they might not play as well as they should because they there's still a lot for them to learn. Other than that, this team, I mean, obviously, cat they they need another. The issue is, D'Lo and AE are so kind of similar. And do you want D'Angelo Russell just having that primary point guard role, or would you rather bring in a primary? point guard who can facilitate better and not have to look to score as much as D'Lo does. Now, here's my question. If you're the Timberwolves, you know what I'm about to ask. Do you bring in Ben Simmons, if you can?
0: So, I think it's interesting the thought of Ben Simmons on this team, but I don't think they actually do it. I think they have too much faith in D'Lo as a starting point guard that they aren't even going to consider Ben Simmons. Also, what is Ben Simmons' trade value? Is his trade value four first-round picks and two of your best players, no, or is not right it, now. or is it a first-round pick and a second-round pick? Like, what sort of trade scenarios are you going to get with Ben Simmons?
2: So hypothetically, if I'm the Timberwolves, if I'm the Sixers GM, and I say I want D'Lo and Malik Beasley for Ben Simmons, yes or no? You're in your point out. guard, in Ben yeah. Simmons, but he's going to play a four, and you still have the spacing with Cat because Cat can space the floor. Now you just got to figure out um who's playing the three and the one, and you just need a guy who can play defense at the one because Ben Simmons is in charge of the whole facilitating the offense.
1: Okay, hold on. Okay, so I, I got I got a couple of things to to say. Y'all got me really y'all got the wheels turning over here. Um, so I had I, I went low key silent for a sec. Uh, appreciate y'all for giving me that sec but um okay so two things first thing is um Carson to a point that you made earlier about D'Angelo Russell I actually think Malik Beasley overlaps um Anthony Edwards more than D'Angelo Russell does um because D'Angelo Russell actually has the capability to facilitate he actually has the capability Malik Malik, Malik Beasley needs the ball in his hands He needs to operate. He's better as an ISO scorer. You know, I I feel like everything I've said you can literally attribute to Anthony Edwards. So I feel like they're more duplicates of each other than D'Lo. I think D'Lo in the right situation can be a facilitator for this team. And the, the tricky part about this is we haven't seen him with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns all healthy, like for a significant period of time. But I would actually argue that Malik Beasley is more redundant um, next to Anthony Edwards than D'Angelo Russell. And I think the proof in that is, and this is a weird way to bring this up, but if you guys remember Malik Beasley's suspension um, for like the off-court stuff that was taking place, that's really when Anthony Edwards took his leap. That's really when people started discussing him being in the Rookie of the Year candidacy um, as something more than just number two um was when malik beasley got suspended and anthony edwards got a lot more of the two minutes in this lineup with malik beasley he's a three and although i it's great that he grew to six six that's two inch gap i think that's gonna be i I think that's gonna help him um as a guy who already plays really physical and already is a leaper already is a strong finisher um, I think those extra two inches grown is going to be huge, but I still think that his, him being a three is not natural. But, and with Malik Beasley in the lineup, he has to be a three. And I don't think, I think that hurts Anthony Edwards moving forward. Now, I think he's still going to be really, really solid this year, but to go to your Ben Simmons question, if you can find a cheat code to trade Malik Beasley instead of D'Lo in whatever trade package needs to be put together, I'd actually think that makes a lot more sense.
2: I think the only way Philly takes that deal is if both of them are in there because they're missing those two wings, that two wings, point guards, shooting guards that can go out there and get a bucket. D'Lo, mm-hmm. if he's not in charge of the offense, which he still will be in Philly, but it won't be to the same extent as it is in Minnesota. Right. I agree with you. Uh, Malik and A.E. are very similar, mm-hmm. but I kind of like Malik Beasley off the bench better. Yeah, as that six man, like, Ooh, he won't, okay. it won't happen.
1: Who starts? Who starts over him then?
2: I got, here, let me look at the rock. I here. mean,
1: they got Pat Bev, but I don't like D-Lo Pat Bev in the backcourt. I don't no. like that. That's nasty. <laughs> I think they
2: would have to find a number, a number two, their two guard that can, like, kind of just play defense and, like, knock down a three, which Pat Bev does, but you don't Corey? want him starting Corey? this late Corey? in his career.
1: Maybe. Nah, nah, nah. He's starting over Malik, yeah, that's nasty. I don't know. You're you're right. They don't no, have I... to go looking for that. The bolt, the the mold of Malik
2: Beasley is a six man because okay. he's not on Anthony Edwards level. Anthony Edwards is here, Malik okay. Beasley's like right here. So I'd rather have obviously you would rather have Anthony Edwards start. Yeah. But Malik Beasley is a better six man than he is a two starting alongside those three guys. Agreed.
1: He's like T.J. Warren, kinda. I, I I feel I feel you. He's like T.J. Warren, kinda, like just a bucket. Like I mean, he was. I mean, T.J. was like a six man a year, six man a year candidate in those nasty years in Phoenix. And you know, I think that you know he showed some signs in Indiana as a guy coming off the bench that was huge. I think Malik. I agree with you. I I think the Ben Simmons thing. And Ryan, this would be my way to like pass it back to you because I mean you kind of answered it, but like the Ben Simmons thing. My question. Both of you guys can answer, but, like, my question is, like, how do Ben Simmons and Cat fit? I'm not – I don't think it's bad, but I I I need somebody to explain to me exactly what the cohesion is because I'm not understanding it as much.
2: So Joel has to play inside a lot more than Cat does. Cat is more okay, of a I finesse – he's more of a finesse center than mm-hmm. Joel is. Joel is still finesse, but he's also banging down there because – He's got that mentality. Then you got Ben Simmons, who can set all this up for Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards, like, he can create his own shot to an extent, but he'd rather get set up, get get there, get his to, to his spot. Mm. Obviously, Ben Simmons sets off the offense a lot better than D'Lo does. And defensively, he fills all of Cat and Anthony Edwards' um mistakes because sure. defensively, Cat is not there. Anthony Edwards, being this young, he's not defensively motivated. So Ben Simmons will bring in that from day
0: one.
1: Okay. Ryan, what's your thoughts on that, bro?
0: I'm not 100% sure how it will fit immediately. I think over time, I think is when we'll see how Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns fit. I think that the team, the Philadelphia 76ers, have been built around Ben Simmons' strengths. And I think it'll be very interesting to see what a non ben simmons philadelphia seventy sixers team looks like, but I've seen a lot of trades thrown around where it's delo for ben Simmons, and I think it's just an interesting fit, but it's more or less i have to see it to believe it
1: right i think the d i think the delo exchange i mean the human factor, unfortunately, plays in this as well, cause you have to talk about the, like, the D-Lo being friends with Carl Anthony Towns thing. Now, apparently, Streets said that Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns, uh, uh, mess around on, on the Twitch stream area. So, I mean, the Streets say that they might actually be a little bit cooler than we actually know, but, I mean, you know, all seriousness though, I mean, like, there's a lot of different elements in this. The one thing is, I think people are underrating Minnesota a little bit because roster-wise, they are pretty solid. I think bringing in Patrick Beverly helps them. Josh Okogi, I think, is pretty nice. Jared Vanderbilt and Nas Reed off the bench. Torian Prince is actually pretty okay as a wing for them in a reduced role. Um, I think Anthony Edwards takes a jump. Carl Anthony Towns just being available is great considering that the last two years have been really tough. Um, personally and, you know, just off the court in terms of, like, injury as well. Um, and Jaden McDaniels, I think is a wild card on this team because he's like the, actually, he's like the only two way capable player that I see on this team right now. He's the only guy that has that real two way upside. And I think that now that he's going to be thrusted into a starting role, it's going to be more important for him to really maximize those traits. So I think Minnesota's solid, um, could they make the play in? I I think if they make the play in they're like 10, but again, it goes back to what Carson said beforehand and I think it was a great point. Is that when you get to this area um of the standings, the New Orleans, the Minnesota um and Sacramento as well. I think this is where you kind of get into the the toss up range of I think it really could just come down to kind of like how last year was where like the last 10 to 15 games mean a lot more um than they typically would in a normal year where the playing tournament isn't implemented. So I think Minnesota is going to actually be pretty interesting, but they got to stay healthy. That's the problem. We haven't seen their full, you know, their full capacity starting five at all, let alone for a significant time. If we can even get a glimpse of that, that would be huge.
0: I'm just waiting for this Minnesota team to break the glass ceiling because we kind of saw that with the Jimmy Butler team back in 2017 where we thought that this team could not only be a playoff team but also make a run in the playoffs. I think that this could be a year where with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell at the helm, fully healthy, I think that this is a team can not only – that can not only make the play-in tournament, but make a run and be a sneaky team this year in the Western Conference. But we're going to rapid fire through these next three teams real quick, and we're going to start with Oklahoma City, because this is another talented young team with a lot of talented young players, but leading at the helm has been Shea Gilchrist-Alexander. So, Jalen, I will start with you on this one. In terms of players at his position— and he's currently listed as a point guard. Do you believe that he is a top 10 player at his position?
1: Right now? Right now. This is going to hurt my soul. No. Um, he's staring at 11, 12 though, bro. He really is. I mean, the efficiency is nuts. Um, and this has been in different iterations of his game right for the Clippers he was a backup point guard backup bench guard for them for the early iteration of the Thunder when it was a three-guard lineup with Chris Paul and Schroeder he was quote-unquote that third guy I mean there were situations where Schroeder was coming off the bench for them but for the most part he was he was that third guy as the young guard in that trio and now in this situation where he is the guy for OKC he hasn't stepped back um really at all despite the fact that his efficiency is still maintaining if not actually improving. Um the trick with these positional rankings and um I we teased this on actually the last episode we had with Carson and um it's something that we gotta get around to at some point. But positional rankings for point guard is so interesting because you have to factor in where everybody is right now and the names that you have. I mean Steph, Luca uh James Harden is the the point guard for the Nets um and I think that he's definitely better Dame uh Trey Young I think that Shay is getting there D I think De'Aaron Fox is in there as well Chris Paul still I think in a year we could be having a different story about that just out of the fact that I think Chris Paul has to hit that wall eventually as a guy who already is pretty injury prone um I think once you get the guys like um even Russell Westbrook and like Drew Holiday. Um, I love drew. You know, how I feel about drew, uh, Ryan, anybody who hasn't tuned into any podcast where I talk about drew holiday, let me just summarize it for you. I think this dude is like one of the best two way point guards in the league. Um, and I think he's been one of the most underrated players for like the last four or five years now. Um, but I think that Shea Gillis Alexander just has such an interesting offensive package that I think that, um, he could get himself into that area. Russ is Russ freaks me out here because of the fact that with age, that athleticism is going to be something that he's not going to be able to rely on as much. And he's already a terrible three-point shooter and a guy who turns the ball over at a high rate. So I think in a year, Shea could actually usurp Russell Westbrook in the current NBA standings. Um Kyle Lowry is still another guy in this mix. Now, I think this year with the Heat is going to be really interesting. But I just still feel like as an overall two-way guard, even at 35, I think he's still a pretty solid guy i think by this time next year Shea Gills alexander is going to be in that top 10 area i didn't even mention jaw out of the fact that i still feel like if we're going to do the the top 10 thing and this is something that i've come around on carson you actually you actually tricked me into this so i'm going to give you i'm going to give you your kudos now um i flipped on i flipped on the the d versus jaw thing uh this happened yesterday actually um I think De'Aaron Fox is better but it's not it's incremental um the reason why and this is something that Carson pointed out in the last podcast when I re-listened to it yesterday is the current environment for John Morant actually maximizes his biggest strengths and that's something that I feel like you do have to take into account when doing these player rankings is that sometimes situation can't maximize your overall production and the first thing that I think of when it comes to Sacramento is that De'Aaron Fox doesn't get the love that he has because he's in Sacramento, number one. I think the second thing is his coach is Luke Walton, which automatically hurts him. Imagine think,
2: if De'Aaron Fox didn't have to play defense because he has Dylan Brooks next to him. I,
1: I think that, I think that's a huge point, and I, I I think that'll be something. We'll table this in a little bit because we're going to talk about Sacramento in a, in a minute, but I think that's something that could get addressed this season um, with, uh, what they did in the draft. But my main thing is, I think that in a year, John Morant and Shea Gibbs Alexander will both be in this conversation for top 10 at their position. Um, and I think that De'Aaron Fox is already there. I think the grouping for them this time next year, um, will be really interesting what their order is. Right now, I have, I have Fox, Morant, Shea. I think after this year, there's a chance that they all could be in the top 10, whether or not that order changes or not. I think will have a lot to do with the post-season success of Ja, because I think he's the one that's more likely to make the playoffs and how he performs under those high, uh, the high circumstances um is going to be really important.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think what I want to see is him to play this season. Like last year, they mm-hmm. got, he got shut down early. And that sucks because maybe if he wasn't shut down so early, he would be a top 10, no doubt about it. Because I, I think right too. now, arguably, you, I, uh, I can make a case for him over Russell Westbrook. I can make a case for him right. over Ben Simmons as of right now, if we consider Ben Simmons a point guard. Right. So if we see him actually play this season with the, a bunch of young guys like Josh Giddey, Pokaszewski, I mean, I, I, this team's going to be fun. It's just going to be like the Rockets. But, um, yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy about this team. Uh, it's Shea's team, and I think it's good to know that. Lou Dort should be fun to watch. A uh, bunch of young guys, and that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of where this team stands. I think if you had to pencil them in anywhere, I would say 11 to 14. Just because I think you're just waiting for these young players to develop. Shea is a great point guard. And unfortunately, I have to agree with Jalen on this one and pencil him in at around 11. And it's unfortunate because I feel like you're going to have to wait for a player like Chris Paul or some other older point guard to give you a reason to put Shea in your top 10. Shea's a phenomenal player, but... I think as he continues to develop, we're going to pencil him in in this conversation. But moving on to the Phoenix Suns, and this is a team that just made the finals last year for the first time since 1993. Carson, I'll start with you. How confident are you in the Suns that they can repeat their success from last year over to this season?
2: In the regular season, I see number one, number two seed once again. The problem is, once you get past that into the finals, This team's solid, but there's some other teams that are going to give you some run for their money. The Nuggets are going to be able to compete with them. The Jazz, I think if the Jazz would have been able to play the Suns instead of the Clippers playing the Suns without Kawhi, the Jazz might have been in that final series. Just because, I mean, it's it's tough because there's so much going on in Phoenix. and They got really lucky last year with injuries. Um, like the Kawhi injury right obviously clay thompson was still out uh lebron ad were both banged up a lot so they got really lucky last year i wouldn't say it was all luck but they had some fortunate events allowing them to get into that finals that they might not ever happen that might not have ever happened again we'll see how chris paul plays this year and if he kind of has a a fall off again i think this Suns team has learned a lot from him and even without him they're, uh, they're a playoff team now that a couple years ago, if they didn't have Chris Paul and they were still on this development, I don't know if they even make the playoffs still. I just
0: think that's an interesting take because I think with the amount of talent that Phoenix has, I think it's easy to pencil them in as the best team or second best team in the West. But I think regardless of how the Lakers dealt with their injuries and how the Clippers dealt with their injuries and uh, how Utah ended up playing last year, I think that there is a a huge possibility that this team can repeat their final success regardless of other teams' circumstances. I think they would have beaten the Lakers regardless in that series. I think they would have beaten the Denver Nuggets regardless of the fact that they didn't have Jamal Murray. I think they would have beaten the Clippers regardless of the fact that they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. So I think that this team has just so much talent on it that it's hard not to pencil them in as a finals contender. But moving on to our next team in the Portland Blazers, that have a lot of questions coming into this season. But the main question is, what happens to Damian Lillard? So, Jalen, is there a chance that Portland trades Damian Lillard this season? And if not, can Portland still compete for a championship with the current roster as constructed?
1: I think the answer is no. I don't think that that kind of trade is going to take place unless he requests it. Um... I think the other thing is that this year is huge for them in terms of trying to put a uh, a legit team around them and I know that they didn't do that in the off season but the buyout market and things like that are going to be really interesting for this Portland team. Um I think the biggest thing is that I think they're legitimately in the mix for like a 4 or 5 seed in the in the West. I think that they're a team that's going to play up the the regular season um really strong and I think they have some really high energy guys on this team that um They desperately kind of need to play at a high level. I really like Portland, man. I think the biggest thing is this offseason could be pretty crazy if things are not, you know, good, especially if there's another first round exit or something like that for Portland. But I think in terms of the regular season, man, look, I'm not a mind reader. So unless Dame comes out and says something that makes you, you know, have cause to pause. My assumption is that he's committed to this team unless he makes the rumbling noise. I've been that way about just about every guy that's kind of been on this track. And so far, Dame has played it low now. I mean, things could change if the season starts out really bad um, and things get dicey before they even start. But I think that they have a... I think they've improved incrementally across the roster. and I think those little tweaks alone can maybe do a lot for them um, and then, of course, getting Chauncey Billis I think is huge because I feel like there came a point where they kind of just needed a new voice in the locker room, and you have to give that chance to work as well. So I think Dame will at least give it this season, and like I said, maybe the offseason is really loud depending on how things end.
2: I think the problem with the Blazers is they're always just too average. That's, that's the issue. They don't have anything. Like let's say they miss the playoffs, right? then that's going to call for some alarm, right? They have to do something, a big move, not just signing Larry Nance. Oh, maybe it's time to trade CJ if we miss the playoffs, right? But since you are always that 5-6 seed, it looks good. You get bounced in the first round. Maybe you get it into the second round, and then you lose there. This team's just not good enough currently constructed around Damian Lillard to, to force him to stay. If I was Damian Lillard, I'm out of there by now. You mm-hmm. haven't provided me a team that could legit win. The best player you've got me is CJ McCollum, and half of that's because he's developed so well. Other other than that, like how they brought in anyone that has made a that can make a major impact in the playoffs. Yeah. Yusuf Nurkic came in, and he was young when he came in, and he just developed. So their developmental team is good, there but really. it's a small market, just like Sacramento. You're not bringing in many superstars unless you're drafting one, and you're too average to be able to get a good draft pick.
1: And that's a problem. Yeah. They're a high-end Orlando, like how Orlando used to be in terms of like always hitting their head on the 8th seed yeah. but not really making any type of traction. Portland is a high-end version of Orlando because Damian Lillard is better than any player that Orlando had.
2: Yeah, he's better than Vucevic Luce, uh, ever was.
1: For sure.
0: I think something interesting going into this season is the fact that Chauncey Billups is the new coach. I right. think having... I'm not really sure what type of experience he has as a coach in the NBA. I know he has a lot of assistant coach experience. So I'm interested to see how his voice is different from Terry Stott's voice, mm-hmm. because I'm I'm expecting a newer Portland Trailblazers team than what we've seen with Terry Stott's. I want to see something different. So if Damian Little can, t- can continue to play at that high level, what will, what will these supporting cast do for him? And I think that's going to be very interesting under Chauncey Billups, given what we've seen from Terry Stotts over his tenure in Portland. But now we've come to the point in the podcast to talk about our guest's favorite team, the Sacramento Kings. Now, I want to bring back something that he said on the pod when we last had him on. Carson said, the 11th seed is probably more realistic for the Sacramento Kings. 10th seed is hopeful. I realistically do think that if you put De'Aaron Fox in a one-game situation, kind of like how John Morant went off, you can't tell me De'Aaron Fox can't give you thirty, close to 40 on the night to go to the playoffs. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so listen, I I think it's pretty safe to say Carson probably feels the same way about De'Aaron that he did when we last had him on. But I think the feeling in Sacramento is different this year. I think the Kings – with the Kings winning the Summer League Championship, they're building a young core of players with De'Aaron Fox at the helm. Carson, as the fan on the pod, you said 11th seed realistically, 10th seed hopeful. Is this the year that they finally make the playoffs?
2: We're making the play, and I can tell you that. I'll say – I think – I think with the Pels, how they haven't looked good, Zion's going to be banged up all year. The Wolves are going to be an issue. The Grizzlies are going to be an issue. But those are the three teams that I see us compete with. And after watching Summer League, obviously I wasn't happy with Davion Mitchell being selected. After watching him these first couple of weeks, hearing what Dear Fox has said, saying he's already a top-five defender in the league. Like, as a rookie for a team that defensively sucks that that's very exciting to hear as a Kings fan then you got Tristan Thompson coming in he's kind of changing the 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 culture there he's bringing in some fun its enjoyment then you got guys like Buddy Heald who are committing to hey if i have to play the 3 i won't i won't say anything and i i'll try like that's all that i that fans can ask for Then Marvin Bagley said he's committed to the team. The GM even said, like, hey, I like this team. You know, if something pops up, yeah, we might make a deal. Uh, But as of right now, I don't see any issues with, oh, we need a Ben Simmons. I think he's content with maybe this team can be a 10 seed. Maybe we get lucky, beat the Grizzlies, get lucky again, beat the Mavericks. Something like that happens. You know, you never know. And having a guy like Darren Fox and now Tyrese Halliburton starting, it's all going to come down to the defensive side of the ball. And with Davion Mitchell there, he's going to bring more emphasis, even as a rookie. As a rookie at what? A twenty four <laughs> a thirty year old rookie, he's going to be able to impact the team right away.
0: So, Jalen, I think what's what's very interesting about the Davion Mitchell pick is that to Carson's point, he didn't he didn't like it at first. And a lot of experts said that The pick day makes sense. However, if you look at Davion Mitchell as a player coming out of college, I mean, he was a solid 3-and-D guy coming out of Baylor that provided a lot of scoring and a lot of defense to a Baylor team that ended up winning the championship that year. So how do you feel about Davion Mitchell as a player on this team, and what sort of effect do you think he will have as possibly – the third starting guard on this team?
1: Let's put it this way. Carson wanted Franz, and I think he regrets that now, which I think is yeah. a good step. I think it's a good step Um because of the fact that I I agreed with him that I thought it was Franz or Moses. Now, I still feel like with Moses on the table, positionally, that would have made more sense to me. Um, because their backup three is like Maurice Harkless right now, or like Terrence Davis, yeah. and like that's not great, you know what I mean? Um, and I would at least like to be in a situation where maybe you could bump one of those guys down to like a small ball, uh, small ball four. That way, uh, Matu is not playing <laughs> as the second, yeah. you know, power forward for you, because. That's also tough. You're in a situation where after you get past Rashawn Holmes and Mark, uh, Marvin Bagley, you got Tristan Thompson and Alex Lynn and Shamezi Matu. Um, and
2: Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes can play the four.
1: Well, I think Harrison Barnes is going to start at the three, though. I think we're going to see that three-guard lineup here and there. Okay, actually, here's how, how I'll put it. And I'll phrase it in the form of a question for you, Carson. Cause my thing is, I think Davion's going to be really good this year, but I think obviously it's going to show up on the defensive end. I went as far as, I think I wrote in one of my pieces for the Baltimore Sports and Life, I, my hot take for this season in terms of rookies was that I think that Davion Mitchell has the capability of making a uh, third team All-NBA defense. I think that he could be at least like a, a second to third team level defensive player as a rookie. Um, do you, like like how how do you feel about this three guard lineup talk? We saw the efficiency of it for OKC, but the 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 grouping was way different. You know, I mean <laughs> CP3 is a facilitator. Is Tyrese Halliburton you guys a setup guy? I I would say that he's solid. I don't know if he's CP3 level solid as a setup guy. Um, then you get down the list. I think Darren Fox is a better offensive player than any of the guys within that that trio that OKC had. Um, But he needs the ball in his hands a lot more than any of those guys that OKC had as well. And then Davion, I think of the three point shooting is real, which we've kind of seen spurts of that. That could be big for them. But is his defense is his defense and the thought of him shooting the three ball enough for you to convince yourself that Harrison Barnes is not starting for this team? And instead you're starting for starting, starting and how you finish are two totally different things. Right. But. If you had like in terms of a closing lineup, I think that's more important. Or do do you believe that having Davion Mitchell as part of a three guard lineup is better than having Harrison Barnes in the starting lineup, or is it just simply as easy as those three playing extremely small, playing those three having Harrison Barnes at the four and Rashawn Holmes at the five, and it's Marvin Bagley who's the odd man out? Like, what what is your feeling on the on the closing lineup for this team, basically?
2: Okay, so let's say look at starting right. I think it's going to be Fox. Halliburton, Barnes, Bagley, Holmes. Now, the one I like, right, it, let's say it's my dream world, right? Mm. It would be Fox, Hallie, Buddy, Barnes, Bagley. Now, here's oh. what I think is more realistic okay. is okay. the Fox, Hallie, Buddy, Barnes, Holmes. I think that's the most realistic to start. Okay. because Harrison still able to stretch the floor. He can guard fours nowadays, because fours well, yeah. aren't like like how they used to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I kind of want to go back to your point about the Davion Mitchell pick, because I mm-hmm. forgot to talk about this. What I like about what the Kings have done is they haven't drafted for fit. They've drafted the best that, available. Yeah. And in the past, right, they were drafting for fit. Look at Yorgos Papillanes. Where is he? In the middle of Greece somewhere. But why did we draft him? Oh, because maybe he can play. Maybe we can put Cousins at the power forward and he can play center. So a lot of the times we were drafting for fit. Now Luca, right? Luca was the best player. Why did we draft Bagley? Fit. Right. Now you get Davion Mitchell, who Buddy Hield eventually will be traded. Eventually. Now does Davion Mitchell move in there? And because he's so good defensively, we don't have to worry about having a bigger three and uh Halliburton can play that three and then maybe you get Bagley to actually play some defense and at that point you're like well this three guard lineup with this power forward and the center defensively can still play together that's the big problem and I think that's what the Kings have to look at Harrison Barnes I think it's he I I don't love Harrison Barnes's game like he's just so average and he he's not a ceiling raiser and he's not a floor lower so it'll it'll be interesting this season especially with Luke Walton at the head coach position god if he doesn't get us into a play in like area like if we're the 12 seed 13 seed then he needs to be gone no matter what
1: seriously bro that i think that's holding them back more than anything that's gosh lucas lucas horrible yeah <laughs>
0: So I think what will definitely be interesting is the possibility of a three-guard lineup because I think that it definitely opens the door for more guys to shine on the offensive side. I think, you know, getting De'Aaron Fox and still having him around, Tyrese Halliburton, I think his, his production will increase for sure. But I think what could really change the game for this team is the play of Davion Mitchell. And I think given what we've seen from him in the summer league, There is a possibility that he ends up as a dark horse candidate for Rookie of the Year if he can play to the same level that he did at Baylor. But I think ultimately what will work for this team will be the play of Harrison Barnes. I know he's an average player, but he's had his best statistical seasons on the Sacramento Kings. So I think that also could be very interesting. And then Rashawn Holmes, I think he's a very underrated center could end up being one of the best centers in the league, definitely has as a guy that can have a, a ton of improvement on the offensive side and defensive side, but definitely a lot of interesting factors uh, for the Sacramento Kings. But just looking at the last two teams real quick, and we'll start with the San Antonio Spurs, Jalen, the Spurs two years in a row missed the playoffs after making the playoffs for a, a long streak of seasons. I believe it was from 1998 to 2019. Um, do you think that they could compete for a playoff spot this year or is it time for a rebuild?
1: The, the, this rebuild is coming kind of late. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's that time. I mean, I know like a pop team is going to be competitive and I like, I mean, the over unders out there are like pretty low and I, I would, if I'm not a betting guy, but if, if I were to suggest it, uh, I would bet the over just because I don't think that a pop led team is going to, you know, like win less than 30 games, which is like, some of that stuff that's been thrown out there, thirty, thirty five games. I think that a pop led team could have win at least, you know, thirty-six plus games. I think that's fair. Um They're just I mean, they they're in a situation where they have a lot of decent guys, but nobody really like stands out. I mean, Kelden Johnson is that guy for me. Um but and I it'll be interesting because I think he's a guy who could be like, you know, you know, they talk about a lot of people who could take like a lot of players who could take that next jump this season. I think he's that guy who might fall into that that area with like the Michael Porter Juniors and the uh the Nikhil Alexander Walkers and the Jordan Pools that have been in that conversation because with um with DeMar DeRozan no longer there, Calvin Johnson is automatically throws thrusting into that role. He clearly has the trust of Popovich. We saw that a little bit in the uh the Olympics as well. Um, so he maybe is that guy who can pop for them, but they just have a lot of solid guys. Maybe Dougie McBuckets can do something for them. That'll be interesting. Thaddeus Young, I hate that the Bulls traded him to San Antonio. Don't even get me started on that one, bro, because he was not even involved in that trade with Chicago at first, and I hate that he got moved to San Antonio because I thought he would have been solid as a four guy for us, but I think he's going to be pretty decent over there, and um, I mean, they, they got folks over there, bro. Like San Antonio is going to be solid, but in terms of the playoffs, nah, fam. I think eleven through fourteen is, I think eleven through fourteen is built in for sure because they do not look great.
2: I just this team is just like I said about Harrison Barnes. They're just average. Nothing sticks out about them. They lose their best player, arguably their most important player, with DeMar DeRozan. And you know Popovich, like you said, I I'm not gonna bet against Pop to win 30 games. Like he can do that for you. You're telling me he's l- losing 52 games this year. There's no way. Uh, it's it's a late rebuild. Needed to happen. They have way too many guards. They got Derek White, uh, DeJounte, uh, Lonnie Walker. I think Josh Primo is a is mm. more of a, a guard-type player. Yep. So I just don't understand where they're going. And then they got Yaka Pirtle, who's really good, very underrated. But other than that, this team's just – they're just not at the next level. Like, they're not the, the Wolves, Kings, Pels, Grizzlies.
0: Agreed. I would say also keep in mind on players like uh, or keep an eye on look at, on uh, Luka Samanic and also uh, uh, Trey Jones. I think those two guys, the G League products, given what they did um, in the G League last season with the Austin Spurs, I think it could be very interesting. I think they could end up being two potential X factors on this team. But moving on to our last team, in the Utah Jazz, who has all is it's always a team that finds themselves in the playoff conversation, but they found themselves in the championship conversation last season with their first seed finish and being one of the top teams in the Western Conference. So Carson, do you believe Utah has hit their ceiling as a championship contender or are you giving them one more chance this season to prove themselves?
2: I want to say no that they still have the chance, but I think with with Rudy Gobert being your Your guy and obviously Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. I think you need better play from Boyan and you have to have a backup center that can play good minutes in the playoffs. The only reason they lost that series is because Rudy Gobert couldn't guard Terrence Mann and that's an issue. You can't have the guy you're paying 250 plus mil not be able to play in the, in the games that are most important. So I think the Jazz have a deep, They need to look at at their issues because that that's a glaring hole in their game. If that was the year to win it all, that was the year that they had a chance to win it all, and instead they let Terrence Mann go off, and it sucks because I like that Jazz team. Mike Conley, I want to see him in the finals. Donovan Mitchell, love his game. Boyant's good. Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, but the the big issue is Rudy Gobert, and he got a lot of. A lot of slack for it, but that's an issue, and they need to look at, look at themselves in the mirror.
0: I think it could be very interesting to also see the play of Donovan Mitchell as a possible MVP candidate. I think that this year could be another year where we consider him as an MVP-level player, and I think this year could be the chance that he ends up winning it, but a lot of MVP candidates uh, this season and We'd Donovan Mitchell – yeah. There's not one definitive candidate, so I think Donovan Mitchell could really take that step and insert himself into that uh, MVP conversation. But this has been a great episode today on Hoop Talk Podcast, and we are so thankful to have Carson back on the pod today to discuss the Western Conference with us. And Carson, just quick shout-out to you for coming back on the pod, but also, where can we find you on Instagram?
2: No, nah, first, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on again. It's always fun. I got out of class, came right here, got it done. <laughs> Hopefully my roommates don't think I'm too annoying. But you can find <laughs> me on YouTube, Cook Talks, Apple Podcast, Stuck in the Dream. I'm dropping an interview with this kid named Anthony Garcia. He's from Capital Christian High School, a three-star quarterback that has offers from Navy, Army, Air Force, Villanova, Sac State. Also edited a cool mixtape, so if you want to check that out. If you enjoy like cool sports, skits, shorts, stuff like that, make sure to check me out.
0: Almost forgot to mention he was, he's also on YouTube and TikTok as well with Carson Cook Talks. So link will be in the description below, but this has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. And of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, we rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.
1: Peace.